Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast. Along with J.J. Cooper, I'm John Manuel. We want to thank you so much for the download, whether it's at iTunes or at BaseballAmerica.com. And we want to thank MLB Network for sponsoring Baseball America's podcast. I want to remind you we have our MLB Network offer on BaseballAmerica.com. Baseball America remains the must-read for baseball fans from high schools to the big leagues. Now you can try four issues for just four bucks. Visit BaseballAmerica.com backslash MLB Network for this special offer. Didn't we determine that it was a forward slash? I think we did. And I just am too, uh, too tied to saying backslash. Sounds funner. Sounds like a movie title. Backslash 2 Electric Boogaloo. But uh, with JJ, I'm John, and uh, we have way too much to talk about, seeing as how we didn't do a podcast last week. There was a good reason for that. We were finishing League Top 20s, Those chatting every time. single day, and doing draft report cards. And next up was Organization Top 10s. Uh, we got a hectic, a little bit like General uh, Electric around uh, here. Just a little insight, like in in how we, you know, do those those top tens. Uh, I've been starting on my Royals list, and I have a call. I started a call with uh, one of the guys in the Royals system, and we had a really good, you know, conversation <laughs> and all. This is a good story. And finally, it hit time really for both of us kind of to head home and, and pick up kids and all. And you know, and he goes, well, you know, I guess we'll pick this up. And I looked down and realized we'd gone 95 minutes and we had covered six prospects. <laughs> and yeah, we will talk about 45 to 50 prospects at least. So at that rate, um, unfortunately, we'll not have Royals in the uh, 2011 prospect handbook. We'll just have really good coverage in the 2012 book. We really just should have, like, one of the one of the crazier ideas we've had in the past would be on years where, say, I'm not taking on the Astros, but say the Astros the last couple of years, or we really had to stretch to get to 30 prospects. One of Jim Callis's crazier ideas for the handbook has been, let's just have 900 prospects, but grade them by team. And let's go, if the Astros only have 15 guys, we're just going to run a 15 Astros and make up the 15 with five on this other club, five on this club, five on another club. And that kind of leads us right into our top 20s, J.J., because some organizations are deeper than others. I believe it was uh, the Smiths who sang some girls are bigger than others. Some farm systems are deeper than other farm systems' mothers. So, um, <laughs> if Chris Klein well, were only here, well, there's been a lot of 1980s references already. Yeah. If Chris Klein were only here to give us the Morrissey impersonation, uh, that would just be I would uh, steal the deal. It's unfortunate that we don't have that because I really miss his Morrissey I'll impersonation. Say, he did Morrissey better than Morrissey. I, I guarantee you, there's no scout with a better Morrissey impersonation than Chris Klein. But uh, but we digress. But yeah, you you look at it, uh, JJ and. I think it's out there a lot in the public, and you do the Royals. We're talking about that. But, you know, I think we expect the Royals to be our number one farm system, uh, but especially because they're star talent. But they did not have the most players on our league top 20s. That honor went to, uh, you know, kind of a perennial. Uh, really, the, the teams you expect to see at the top of our farm system rankings every year now, the Rangers and the, Ray, and the Rays who just got done meeting in the American League Division Series, 18 Rangers on league top 20s, and that's 18, 15 Rays. That's 18 different Rangers. 18 different that's Rangers. It's not like if you qualify in two lists, you're getting on them both. That's 18 different Rangers. And one thing about that that's kind of fascinating to me is that uh, at number nine, the, the first eight are full season guys. The last nine or ten are short season and rookie league. And a lot of those guys are Latin American. Jurek Profar, Miguel de los Santos, Luis Sardinas, Christian Villanueva, Carlos Melo. Uh, Teodoro Martinez, A.J. Preller doing work as the Rangers Latin American program. Uh, that's the biggest, number one reason why they're – because you also have uh, Martin Perez, uh, you know, already at double-A. 
Uh, and Roman Mendez, I think they got in a trade, and I believe they got in, in how Beltran trades. But that's also good scouting work by them on Latin American players on other clubs. So right. that's a huge well, reason why they have the most players in our league top 20. I was going to say, two, two examples at the big league level that they acquire by yeah. trades. I mean, they yeah, – Andrews, yeah, Andrews you know, and Feliz, obviously. And especially in Feliz's case, you're, he wasn't someone who was in AAA, you know, like who you got in a lot of looks at. Yeah, that both was those guy. guys were – yeah, I think Andrews had just finished his Class A year, was in the middle of high A, and Feliz was in his first full season. You know, he'd been at the Appy League the year before, so certainly – the projection was done on both those guys, and there's still projection left on both of them. Did that list surprise you a little bit of the team names there, JJ? I think the Dodgers checking in thir- third with 14 in a, well, a five-way tie. Yeah, multi-way tie. I think the um, Dodgers had a nice bounce-back year as a farm system this year. I think, and really a lot of it comes down to, because, I mean, there's equal weight on this put to, you know, there's 20 guys being ranked in the AZL, the the GCL, the Pioneer, the Northwest League, and all those. So not that it's easier to make those lists, because, I mean, it's still you have to be, you know, one of the 20 guys in that league. Right. But, you know, I, that by itself, it doesn't mean, you know, hey, the Rangers had 18 players, so they're the best farm system. Right. Because the reality of it is, is that different leagues, it's a little easier, a little harder to make the list. Right. And... You know, obviously, if you're making it in the Northwest League or something, there's more projection involved. I guess the toughest path, really, numerically, would be you go Midwest League. If you had a farm system with Midwest League, Florida State League, I think the Eastern League is the biggest. Uh, and then PCL. And then PCL. If you had then, that. I don't think anybody has that right, set but up. But if you had that, it, would, it, it is tougher because, like, the Midwest League, you know, we hear it every year. Like, well, yeah. how did this guy not make it? Well, it's because the Midwest League is even yeah. now those, even bigger. That's it. Those low-A leagues, uh, you can't avoid those. Both low-A leagues are big. Now the Midwest League is the bigger one. you got a 16-team league and a top 20. And that is somewhere where if we really wanted to go crazy, we could go – you know, deeper on Midwest League and, and, but I I, and Jim, South Atlanta League. That would kill Jim Callis. Jim, I think Jim would, you know, and the funny thing is, is that, you know, I, you know, I've joked about it in the past. It would be easier than easy as far as when you've done the reporting, it wouldn't be that much more to rank 30 guys. No, it would not. You know? You're right. I mean, we, we it actually it would be easier. It almost would be easier to do 25. It's really hard to cut off at 20 sometimes. The Eastern League, for I'm example. Sure, though, if you do it at 25, though, you're really going to cut it. You're really right. hard to cut it off at 25. You're right. I mean, but and for you in the Florida State League this year, you had a hard time getting to 20. It almost sounds like it was. Yeah, but it would at the same time if you said rank 30 guys. The, the the difference was is that in my league that I thought this year was is that the difference between prospect number 15 and prospect number 30 mm-hmm. wasn't that significant. So it actually would have made my job easier. I had like there were like six or seven hard-throwing or yeah. really a reliever with a good pitch. Right. Well, picking between those six and saying, okay, two of them are going to make it was yeah. not easy. If you just said, hey, let's make them all, put them all on there, that's actually easier. It would have been easy to write those guys up. I had the notes on them. Right. But we do have to at some point, you know. You've got to pick 20. you got to put your name next to 20. Right. Let's talk about some of the more, I don't know if you'd say controversial, but some of the ones that the chats are all done with the exception of Indie Ball. Coming uh, later today. Or Coming you, later by the time you by the time you hear this, you you will uh, uh, have the indie chat to read. And, and we're not and having enjoy. an indie only podcast. I apologize. We do have the best photo ever for indie ball. I think. Uh, Good job. Leading the website. Grizzlies. That's outstanding. But let's talk about some of the more controversial prospects. And the first name that really seemed to throw people off was Wilmer Flores. Absolutely, that was the biggest. South Atlantic League did not make the top twenty. Florida State League did make the top twenty and actually made the number top ten, ten and number ten. I think there's reasons for both. There's actually some 
validity. I think number one, it shows personal preference. Right. You and believe in that profile a little bit more than Bill Blue believes in that and, profile. And that's one of the things that we, you know, I, we talked about this on the podcast, the last podcast we did. That you know, well, one of the things with this is that these lists are a little more personal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, because it's so early in our reporting process that you kind of defer to the person who's talking to all the managers and all the scouts in that league. Bill Ballou, you know, talked to a lot of guys in the, you know, Sally League, and they said, you know, hey, you know, there's, this is the reasons we don't like him as much as some other guys. Certainly weren't sold on him as a star. I think the industry, in the office consensus would be if you could pick between Chris Dominguez and Wilmer Flores, you'd pick Wilmer Flores. But if you were lining them up tools-wise – Wilmer Flores does not have as big a tools as Chris Dominguez does. Right. Chris Dominguez well, has huge raw power, and he has a, you know, like a 70 throwing arm. The, the better way that we can put it. And some athletic is, ability. I, we talked about this, you know, in the office, me and you. If we were doing the top 20, having not made those calls, right. which they change it. Just reading the profiles and reading the reports. looking at the players and reading the profiles and what we know about them, I think we'd have both had Wilmer Flores in the top 20. But it wouldn't have been in the top 10, and it would have been maybe in the 15. 15 right. to 20 range is kind of where he would have been. Right. Well, at least for me. No, I, I don't. I don't disagree with you. Sally League was a you know a deep. It's got you know it's 14 team league. It's there are a lot of guys whose best asset is their 18 or 19 in that league. You know, yeah. and that's really Wilmer Flores' well, best asset. Everything else is pro- you're projecting some. But no, the hit tool though, he's already considering his. You know, yes, you are considering his age, but he's showing the hit tool now. True. Uh, he's not hitting for 210, and you're projecting right. that he's going to hit. He's right. Hitting Good point. now. You know, so he's not necessarily hitting with a lot of authority, though. Not hitting a lot of power, but you know, that's something that I mean. That was a very Gammon-esque but, by the way. But <laughs> three uh, syllables, I think. So I like. But it. It, it is something where you know, as an eighteen, nineteen-year-old, sometimes you do allow for the power, right? But you, but you have to say the hit tool is, is what everyone is telling us is his best tool. And he is showing it. There is some present hit tool, not just Correct. Projection. No, it's not all projection. You're right. And I think it's a lot of, uh, you know, one part of, part of the problem is, and Jim and I have talked about this over the years, I think you and I have had this discussion, where it's really harder to evaluate a guy at a position, I mean, whatever the sport is. It's very difficult in basketball to, to evaluate a, you know, a, a guy who you think is going to be a wing in the NBA, but he's playing in the post in college Absolutely. because of how many posts. In the NFL, it's very difficult, I think, isn't it, to evaluate a guy who's maybe a linebacker in college, but in the NFL you'd like him to be a safety. Right. Isn't oh, that absolutely. very difficult to evaluate? Absolutely, yeah. And, then, and I think this is what you have with Wilmer Flores. It's more difficult to evaluate a slow-moving, really not a, kind of a slow-twitch shortstop. And he, he has some similarities, as we talked about last time, to Joel Guzman, as far as a big guy who's playing shortstop. And I think sometimes you can get a little hung up on – Man, he really can't play shortstop. Where is he going to wind up? You don't know where he's going to wind up because you've never even seen him try third base or left field. Right. And the thing about it is, is that I think that was the thing that I was most surprised in doing the calls. On the negative was I knew that Flores was not, you know, like the expectation was that, by the way, if y'all are hearing in the background, <laughs> uh, someone's I think, shedding our, a sheep, offices, you know, shearing sheep, getting cast, they're doing something, but <laughs> you may pick it up on the podcast. But I knew that he wasn't, a, you know, much of a runner. I knew that the, you know, that I'd heard for, you know, a while now he's right. not probably going to be a shortstop, but it wasn't until I started making these FSL calls that you went, wow, so he's that slow? Right, exactly. Because you got like thirty times on, didn't you? I, I yeah, like I had a guy, I had a scout tell me, if you're generous, thirty. 
Yeah. Well, that's as a teenager, if you're generous, a 30. That's that means as a 25-year-old, you're talking, you know, if he fills out at all, you may be talking about a two-runner. No, I'm not a base clogger. You know, you're talking about a and, base clogger. And the thing about it is, is that, so kind of with that, I had a couple different scouts say, I don't project him to be an outfielder. I don't think he can run well enough to be an outfielder unless he really works on his agility and improves his speed, which you don't often see. Uh, right. You don't often see a teenager, you know, you turn around at 25 and go, wow, that guy's faster. Than yeah, that doesn't happen a lot. You know, but that being the case, it's like, you know, some guys said, you know, well, I project him as a first baseman. Well, and then that's the thing. If you're projecting him as a first baseman, I can understand why you're ranking it behind a guy but, like Chris Dominguez. But at the same time, in, you know, the calls out in the FSL, there were more guys, I would say, who said, you know, look, he's he's not like this disaster at shortstop where right. you go, what are they Sounds doing? Sounds like his hands and his feet his work. His hands and his feet work. He just the arm's not terrible. That being the case, you know, I think he's a third baseman down the road. And if he's a third baseman, you know, if you like the hit tool, which a lot of guys do, sure. squares up the ball a lot, if you think the power's going to develop, well, then you're talking about someone pretty interesting. He's definitely a controversial prospect, though. I, mean, I want to read Bill Blue's answer from the chat because I want to give some of Bill's uh, insight here. Flores has the ability to hit for average, and his defense is steady on balls he can reach. The problem is Flores does not run well and has very limited range at a key defensive position. He's going to need to change positions, and with that position change, his limited power will become a bigger negative. Uh, Flores is young, and he plays easy with the ability to hit, put the ball in play. In my mind, at least, the sum of his strong tools and not add up to an exceptional player at higher levels. So I think really Bill's issue is that he doesn't have star potential. I think that's fair. I think that's I, I still, I, I, you know, it's not my list, and Bill sees the Saturday League at least 70 times a year in, Ash, in Asheville. I would have thought that he would have made that top 20, I thought putting him at 10 in the Florida State League was, you know, really a great spot for him just looking at y'all's li- your list. Right, and he's, not yeah. a, he's not a sure thing as a star. And honestly, the Mets' recent track record with Latin guys, hype and then not living up to hype, well, plays into that for me. I'm, I, uh, I'm not giving them the benefit of the doubt on Latin and, players and right an- now. And another thing with that that makes Fernando it hard Martinez, to evaluate, maybe. but another thing that makes it hard to evaluate is, is that with their Latin players, a lot of times guys are playing – you hear it multiple times from people from yep. outside the organization saying that guy's a level or that guy's two levels above where he should be. Yep. So it's hard to get a good read on him because he's over his head. It's like them and the Tigers, very aggressive in pushing their players. But, although the Mets are very aggressive in pushing their Latin players. And, not. and then with their U.S. players, a lot of times you will like, go to Brooklyn. that guy is a level or two levels below where he should be. Yeah, they actually promoted some of their guys at the end. But that, there was a month in uh, Binghamton when I talked to Josh Satin. In the med system, uh, there was a month in Binghamton. It was like a glorious month uh, where Blue was there, I'm sure. And then, uh, but they had Josh Satin, uh, Sean Ratliff, Captain Kirk, Newenhouse, uh, Nick Evans, <laughs> and somebody else. But they were all the band was there for basically one month, and Nick Evans got promoted to AAA. But so that was one example where they actually pushed Nick Evans all the way down to AA. But the New York team seemed to have the most. Uh, you know, the most uh, controversial guys on our, on yeah, our list so this year. One thing I, I want to also throw in on Flores, it's not like he was tearing up the Saturday League. 775 OPS, it's good. It wasn't like he was tearing it up. Right. It's not like he needed to be promoted to the Florida State League. And then he, he did fine in the Florida State League, obviously. But uh, I, li- I like Wilmer Flores. I just don't know that I think he's a star. Okay, no, another guy, and I know yeah, he's pretty, pretty New York Flores. heavy, you know. We're pretty okay. through, but, you know, these are two guys who there was, I think there's a lot of interest in, even if you're not a Mets or Yankees yep. fan. But, 
Another guy that we got a lot of uh, questions about was uh, Andrew Brackman, who ranked lower, significantly lower in the FSL than he did in the EL. And, you know, we I do the FSL, you do the EL, right, so we're right. the, you know, guys to talk about this. And the thing about it is, is that I have no problem with your EL ranking, and I think you don't have really have a problem with my FSL ranking because the it's the the explanation on this one is completely league context. Right. Yeah. He was basically. I think this was a case of a player who got better. Yeah. Um, he was a much a better player, player in September than he was in April. And trying to track, uh, you know, Yankees prospects all year um, is definitely a guy who early on, and when we're doing the midseason update, uh, just a guy who I couldn't find anybody who saw him pitch well in the first half of the season. And, uh, Which is when he was in the FSL. Right, absolutely. And it really just seemed like it was August when, you know, it just the, the switch was flipped by Andrew Brackman. And uh, when you've got a guy talking about, uh, you know, putting six or seven grades on a fastball and six or seven grades on his breaking ball and showing feel for both those pitches, throwing strikes with both of them, angle, and putting guys and away. And having success with it. And having success. I mean, you I mean there's really ERA no, under one for a stretch there. There was really no negative for him in, uh, in, the, in, the, in the Eastern League. I mean, for the, for the Eastern League stretch, 301 ERA, 80 and two-thirds innings. But the main thing for me, just with him as a prospect overall, is 39 walks and 140-plus innings. Now, last year, this guy was, what, seven strike walks per nine innings? This year was, you know, under, you know, two and a half, right at two and a half. Right. So. I mean, he's still a high-risk prospect because it's something that he, that's the longest stretch of success that he's had as right. a pro. That's the longest stretch of success 14, he's had. 14 starts. It's the longest stretch of success he's had since he was a ever. freshman. Really, since ever, because yeah. as a freshman, even then, it was less than 14 starts. But, you know, so you have that, and you have that it, it does seem like he's a guy. I mean, again, there's. They're they're long levers. I mean, yeah, absolutely. So with that, you, what you know, one of the you know cliches or the scouting, you know, like just something you hear in scouting a lot, you know, as people talk about, right? Big tall pitchers like that, often it takes a long time to figure it out. No doubt. Well, so he may have figured it out, but if not, you know, the the reason there's still risk there is is that it seems like he's a guy who has days where he goes out normally. Now this yeah. year, latency, but he, there's days he goes out. And it's a 50 fastball. Absolutely, or not even. Or not even. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, like you, he finds it. You know, Absolutely, like, that's that is him in a nutshell. I'm not saying he's to be Randy Johnson. Right. But Randy Johnson's first good big league year really didn't come until he was 27 in 1990, and even then he led the league in walks, which he did for now, the next three seasons. Correct me if I'm wrong. The one thing coming up with Brackman that's going to affect this a little bit is how many more. Options? I believe that I believe he's out of options next uh, after 2011. I think 2011. So this will be the the key year for yeah. him because of the major league contract. That he, he needed signed. to get good. He needed to start figuring it out, and he did. The the good news for the Yankees on that is is that he's shown enough now, you know that you would think you would be able to put him in a pen at some point next year if you had to. If you had to. to up his if you had to, he could definitely be a long man. I mean, for a team that you know has used guys like Sergio Mitre and Chad Godin. You know, that's not exactly talent that you're losing there that you can't live without. And maybe even a way to eventually to work him into the big leagues to kind of get him ready. And, I mean, like, they gave those guys starts this year, Mitre as well. So it's not like you couldn't give him starts. Uh, the rest of New York's team is pretty good. You know, you could work Andrew Brackman in there. But, yeah, his success at A was crucial. But and, and, and there's really not a consensus that I've seen yet about Dylan Batances, Andrew Brackman, Manny Banuelos. But I would say the Yankees, as a farm system, had about as good a year as any farm system. They had a really good, yeah, 
Yeah, I would say as far as farm systems having a good year, them and the Royals are the two that, that jump out as let's far as guys having success. Let's talk a little bit about the Royals, J.J., because, uh, you know, the only, only 12 guys. But have you can you remember one team having one, two, three prospects in a league top ten like they did in the Texas League? The funny At thing a is high the, level like but that? Not only they did it in the Texas League, but they did it in the Texas Carolina League. league and the Carolina League, they right. were one guy away. They basically – it was one two four, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was one two, no two three. Uh, Tehran was one. Ah, yeah, it was two three four after that. That's so I mean, you know, it's it's pretty sick. I mean, yeah, the Yankees, I should have mentioned, they were one of those five teams with fourteen guys apiece on these league top twenties. You know, the, I think the thing that keeps the Royals, um, you know, that they only had, tw- you know, only you know they had twelve. Only twelve, yeah. You know, they had twelve um, guys make, you know, twelve different guys make the top twenties. Uh, you know, I, they didn't have. You know, they have seven teams, but I don't think they had an Appy League guy make it. And I, don't I don't think, think they so. they had a Pioneer. That uh, I don't remember if Cuthbert made it the Pioneer League or not. He already counted though from the AZL. Yeah, so. yeah. So they didn't have their lower level teams did not have the same numbers as you know as say the Rangers did. That was really the difference. The thing with their twelve is is I think nine of them are. Uh, the first nine are all full season. Are full season guys. Uh, and that's so really that's ninety year top ten maybe not really I mean like Lewis Coleman probably is in your top ten but they prospects that's, but, but that's not you know Mustakas Cosmer Montgomery Crow Lamb Myers Dwyer Cologne and then Coleman was the other guy other full season prospect well here's the thing. Melville not included they didn't make a league top twenty but in contention I would imagine for your top for yeah, your league your organization top ten but it's gonna be you know like I said start working on it. It's the it's the best top thirty I've ever worked on as far as I can say that now before I've even I've written like yeah. two players. But the thing that jumps out is they from last year's top thirty, twenty seven of the thirty are still in the system and still qualify to be in this year's top thirty. Then they traded for I think five guys who qualify for the top thirty and right. at least a couple of those are assured of making it, I would think. Then you throw in that their 2010 draft, and they right. drafted fourth. So, right. and they spent $800,000 on a fifth-round pick, who's really interesting. So, say there's four or five guys from that draft that you have to seriously consider putting in the top 30. Then you, you know, and that doesn't count. They had some Latin guys. You know, the number two and number three prospects in the AZL were Latin guys right. who didn't rank last year because they right. hadn't been in the U.S. And then you throw in guys who weren't in the top 30 last year had good years, and they had a couple of those guys. So Jordani Ventura and Robinson Yambati. Those are great names as well. But you, you throw that all together, and the reality, like you said, if we did do a, you know, rank, you know, we're just going to rank 900 players. Yeah. I'm, you know. I, You'd go 35 I, I, or 40 I mean, deep on the Royals. At, at least 40, I'd yeah. say. You know, I mean, I would be, if you told me to rank the 45th guy in the Royal system this year and write him up, I'd be more comfortable with that guy's chances of making it than several number 30s I've done in the past. Yeah, the Yankees, I think, would be a little bit deeper than 30 this year. <laughs> They'd be a lot deeper than 30. Oh, yeah. Um, even with, with some of the depth that they have. And, uh, and talked, they didn't you know, lose a lot of guys. They didn't lose a lot of their guys. And they, really, very few players in their system stepped backwards, and many, many of them stepped forward. Uh, like right, Jeremy yeah. Bly stepped back. Um, David Adams stepped forward and then stepped back because he got hurt. But most of their guys stepped forward. Hector Noesi, Ivan Nova. Almost all their pitchers, other than Bleich, and then of course, uh, you know, Jesus Montero was stepping back, and then had this monster second half. I was gonna say, he, yeah. I think he's maybe you know, like you say that Austin Romine held serve. I wouldn't say he stepped back, but he didn't step forward either. It's a Baseball America podcast with John and JJ. Um, other league top twenty thing I did want to touch on is you are doing your indie ball top ten. And I want to mention that our Facebook page, uh, Baseball America 
uh, Facebook page. We've got uh, how many people are liking us now? Uh, 6,467. So if you don't thank already, you. thank you. Thank you for the 6,400 who do. And if you don't already, uh, press the. It's very simple. Get the like button and uh, uh, follow us on Facebook. Um, but Ben Crossett uh, was among the people who commented. I, I, I got to find the right email. But there was a Irv Botello, perhaps related to Derek, but Irv Botello who uh, asked, "Want some indie ball love? Is the indie list going to go ten or twenty deep this year, JJ?" Uh, we 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 it's up now. Just went up on the site, and it's ten deep as far as scouting reports. I think I have. I tried to I think I get it to twenty five names, um, but I did cut it off at ten as far as actually putting the scouting reports up there. I mean, the reality of it is, is that, you know, partly because if you go to twenty deep, I can put more names out there. But the reality of it is, is there aren't going to be twenty guys that I'm going to name who, who have a legitimate, you know, who are likely to sign. If you get uh, if you get ten or twelve guys out of that who sign, you're if if I get if out if out of that list, six end up six or seven end up signing, that's a good year. That's a great year. You know, because you know the reality of it is is that especially now. Teams are scouting indie ball more, so guys who a couple of years ago would have made this list can't make it. Jason Lowy would have been number one on this list. Well, right. Jason Lowy, you know, or he may have been number one if I said everyone who signed this year, but he would have been very high up on it. He signed with the Rays a couple of months ago. He, right. he instead of being you know number one or number two on this list, he had a very good final month in, in Myrtle Beach. Right, right. Those guys don't qualify, so this is you know the the. It takes a little more work every year to to find ten to put on there because you know the Daniel Nava example. Daniel Nava doesn't make a, through a whole year now. Right, you know, he's right. not. Or yeah, Justin th- Christian, Justin Christian, right. another guy. I think. Yeah, no, he didn't make it through the whole year. He never got to make. That was before oh, I got okay. to do the top ten. Okay. So uh, um, he he was signed uh, you know during the season. He hit four hundred in front. Was Edward Ramirez? He was signed before. The uh, he year was signed. Ended, right? Yeah, he was signed before the year ended yeah. too. Yeah, so like, those guys, you know. There's always been guys signed, but it does seem now there are, you know, when I was putting together this list, um, you know, uh, you know, Tampa, I, the Rays clearly are, are doing a pretty good job of it because I would player after player, I would call a manager to talk about a player on this team and go, well, he's heading down to Tampa. They got a tryout going on, you know, in a couple hmm. of days, you know, and I've heard that before of, you know, the Phillies, you know, always had a big tryout at the end of the season where they take a look at, you know, 20, 30 guys. Some other teams do that. Which but organization would you say scouts indie ball the best? If you said over the long haul, um, I'd say a Padres? couple. The Padres have done it for a long time. Um, the Phillies have done it for a long time. The you Brewers kind of have to be the in that The Brewers are in that list, definitely. The Brewers are definitely in that list. Um, you know, and then when you go past that, I mean, you, know, you got to throw. I mean, the Red Sox just got Daniel Nava up, and they yeah. got they brought up uh, Robert Coelho in late in the season. That's it's two a, guys there. So, so saying to me that two of the indie ball guys I can think of that made the big leagues are Yankees, Justin Christian and Eduardo Ramirez. Mm. Neither one of them really stuck around very long, but it just always surprises me. The Yankees are among the teams that scouts indie ball well, heavily. But, but again, the the thing about it is, is you know, and I'm either, you know I'm an indie ball proponent. The the amount of money and the amount of time that you have to spend to do it is so little that it it does baffle me that teams just completely ignore it. Right, because I agree. The amount of money you're talking about is often less than what you would sign, you know, for your 50th round pick, which makes sense. They were undrafted, most right, cases. right. But with that being the case, you, you've had a chance, you know, to have to look at a guy and see what he's doing against older competition. A lot of cases, so. 
you know, well, if a guy hits, if a 22-year-old, you know, like Chris Garcia, who uh, just signed with the Braves, who's number three on this list, okay, signed to sign with the Braves, he's hit really well the last two years in the uh, American Association, and he's 22. Well, if he's doing that against 28, 30-year-old pitchers, a lot of whom have double-A, triple-A experience, it's at least worth taking a look at because he's at least an organizational guy. Yeah, because at least you know the same thing that you know uh, number one pick on this list last year, Ronaldo Rodriguez went to Greenville in the in the Sally League and he hit fine. And he and he was one of the he was really one of the key guys in the pennant race for them. You know they went down to the playoffs. He may never make the big leagues, but he had value this year in that he was you know one of the better players on that Greenville team. Well. You know, there's something he was. If nothing else, he was a, a solid org player. Right, right. Speaking of the American Association, very briefly, we'll give props to the American Association for existing. First of all, by when the Northern League had a divide and split up, we're getting deep indie ball uh, talk on the podcast here. But the American, the Northern League. If you follow, if you just read Baseball America in general, and every once in a while you check in on the on the independent leagues. The first independent league really was the Northern League, correct? I mean, right. like the, the, yeah. the Frontier, the Frontier started league, the same year, yeah, correct? They started the same year, but the Northern League is the reason that indie ball exists. They're the flag if, bearer, the standard bearer of modern independent minor league baseball. If the Northern League and they're just failed, about dead. If the Northern League had failed in nineteen nine, you know, in in the early nineties, if you know, say they'd lasted two seasons, right? In, you know, ninety five, they shut things down. You probably wouldn't have. You wouldn't have indie ball. The proliferation of indie because ball. at that yeah. point the Frontier League was really struggling. And what happened is, is by '95, everyone who had ever wanted to own a baseball team and had not been able to, you know, land yeah. an affiliate teams, like, hey, let's start an indie league. And That's so it. you had this massive boom of Explosion. indie leagues, most of which lasted about an hour and a half. That'll be a different podcast that you and Will will talk about the history of indie ball. But Northern League was the reason. And now the Northern League is down to what? Four teams? Four teams, and you have to realistically think. I know the Northern League is talking, of, you know, very strong about how hey, we plan putting on, on a brave face. They're putting, you know, which you have to do. You know, you don't until you're until I'm you, not dead yet. Until you shut things wound. down, you don't say, you know, well, we're, you know, we've been gutted, and there's no way that we can go forward. You don't say that. A victory for the American but, Association, which basically is most of the teams that you think of were in the Northern League, like the St. Paul Saints American Association. Right. You know. so, yeah, it's it's been a it's it's a pretty significant move. It's something to be honest with you, kinda of thought would happen in indie ball for a couple of years now, just with the economy taking a hit, um, you know, minor league baseball has you know, overall has taken a hit with yep. that. Indie ball has a smaller margin. You're not again, the whole thing, you know, the indie ball says no one's paying those salaries except for the team, right. you know, or in some cases the league if the team's struggling. They're not, you know, there's not getting a check from the big league club saying, okay, well, here's your meal money for this month. Right. That so, indie ball has a smaller margin of error there. You know, the reality is is that so you're going to see some weak teams, you know, kind of get weeded out, some weak leagues. Well, that makes sense that you have consolidation then, and so you, you know, may you may not have as many leagues in that's, 2011 or 2012. That section of, the, of your Baseball America directory, you're going to get a little thinner, I think, in the 2011 directory. Uh, let's wrap up the podcast here talking a little bit about uh, the playoffs. Playoffs. We probably should talk about playoffs. baseball that people care a little bit more about. No offense on any No, I understand that. Even but, I care. You know, even I, you know. But I do think it was interesting. The, there was a, it was a big week, your favorite week of the year, Indy Ball, top 20, uh, top 10, however many you end up ranking. And then uh, this giant news of the American Association uh, swallowing up the remains of the Northern League. But uh, I, I think I went two and two in my playoff predictions. 
I completely whiff on the American League. I think I may have fought with my heart on the Twins-Yankees series. And then uh, I really did go with my head with the Rays uh, Rangers series, but well, kudos, that one could have kudos, clearly could have come, you know, gone yeah, either way. But kudos to the Rangers. What to you is the biggest story of the division series round? Was it Roy Halladay's no hitter, or was it the prevalence again of mistakes by umpires? Uh, Tim Lincecum's 14 strikeout game. What, I'm going to go with the, the theme of pitching because yeah. there was so many pitching standout pitching performances. You know, you had, I mean, you you Cliff could. Lee. You had Cliff Lee, you had Halliday, you had Lincecum, you know, uh, you know, heck, Jonathan Sanchez was really good for, you know, for a good while. I mean, even like David Price pitched well in game five. He didn't feel particularly well, but he pitched right. well. You know, right. I, there was, we've seen, and with that, what we're seeing in some ways is kind of a return to, I mean, the Rangers won that series not by sitting back and hitting a three-run homer. But they won that series because they, they ran. The Rays, kind of. They ran the bases extremely well. That's not something that really you saw five years ago. Right, I mean, and it, was, it wasn't just Elvis Andrews, although he was one of the guys who did it. But Nelson Cruz and Vladimir Guerrero, guys who aren't known for their speed. Hey, Benji Molina got a steal. That was amazing. And here's a talking about Cliff Lee pitching. Uh, I guess Dave Cameron. I don't know if this was on Twitter or if he did this on USS Mariner. Uh, he might have done it on Fangraphs. He's everywhere. But uh, had this stat that he passed along. Cliff Lee, 56 playoff innings in his career, 12 hits, 12 runs, 38 hits, only one home run allowed, six walks, 54 strikeouts. By comparison, Sandy Koufax, 57 innings. Did you see this? Yeah. 10 runs, 36 hits, 11 walks, 61 strikeouts. That's pretty amazing. It is pretty amazing. I will point out, you know, we are a little bit apples and oranges here because – Division series. But division there, there are two, la- two World Series starts last year, obviously. Right. There are two all World Series. Koufaxes were all World of Koufaxes series. were, you know – that's Which, a good stat, though. No, it's a good, it's a I, good I, stat, but it does, you know, it is, it's I the same it, thing like when people, when people are saying, well, how, where does Halliday's rank? It's like, um, it doesn't rank in the same category as Larson's, not taking anything away from it, but Game 7 World Series is, in, in you know, is a different, although. It wasn't Game 7. Was, it, was, it was just in the, it was you know, game, in the sweet, series. Sorry, Game I don't, know what, I don't know what Game it was. Game, yeah, sorry. But ga- World Series is different than Division Series. But no doubt about it. But it also was his first start of the play- for him in the playoffs ever. But he also is Roy Halladay. Don Larson was Don Larson. Don Larson was an average pitcher. Right. Who had an amazing game. This kind of was like a capper, you know, for this Roy Halladay. Yeah, this was more of something where you. Yeah. This this feels like as a capper on his on the way to uh, you know capping his career kind of deal. I, I did see something the other day also that struck me as interesting that, you know, uh, you really do kind of have these juggernauts. It seems like JJ with you have the the Giants and the Rangers who are kind of the upstarts and I think are given a chance, but certainly aren't the favorites. And you have last year's World Series teams, and it's amazing how the Phillies have transformed themselves into this team that everyone loves to hate now. But the thing about it is, is the Phillies because are not so far good. away from being, you know, what... It, a by, World Series this year makes them a dynasty. Right. Three they, World they Series become, in a row. If they go to three World Series in a row they become, and win two of them and beat the Yankees to do one of them. And the thing about it is, is we haven't had that many dynasties. I mean, like, you, you know, like... The Yankees clearly have been a dynasty. Right. The Braves, the Braves were a dynasty. The Braves were a dynasty they won the World, World Series. But the reality of it is, is that they were a uh, an ineffectual dynasty in some ways. In that you, to be a true di- I think the Phillies not to be a true dynasty, as you said, they have to win it. Because if you win two, it's a big difference. It it's a big, a big difference in winning one. I still think, like to me, the Bills were in the NFL were still a dynasty. 
Yeah, but they were. But four, they're cause like no, just because no one else has done four Super Bowls in a row. Right. But they were the little brother-like dynasty. You know, the Cowboys were the dynasty going on because they were sure. beating up now on the Bills. Now that's the Bills' problem is they were at the same time as another better dynasty. Right. But I, I still and the same thing with the Braves. The Braves were going on their dynasty coincided with the Yankees' dynasty. It predated it a little bit and didn't last as long. I was gonna say the reality is is that the, Blue the Yankees Jays, were the better dynasty. But the you know. The, the Blue Jays, the were Blue Jays actually were a more effective dynasty in some ways than the Braves. See, I would disagree, but I'm a North Carolina basketball fan. I, I think the consistency over a long period of time impresses me more than the short burst. So the Yankees are the number one dynasty because they had a distant, they had, uh, right. you know, going from 95 to 2007 every year making the playoffs, only missing in 08, and now making it the last two years. And they had the four World Series. Right, there. but at the same time, you know, not being a Carolina Tar Heel fan, as, you know, the same way. Yeah. The reality of it is is that when you start the season, the goal is not to make it to the World Series. The goal is to get the no, ring. Absolutely. But, and but what sport you, values the regular season more than no, Major I'm, League Baseball? Yeah. And the Braves' regular oh, no, season the, track record is better than anyone's. The Braves' regular season track I think you have record. to call them a dynasty. No, I'm not saying they're not a dynasty, but I'm saying... They're just not as good as the Yankee I'm dynasty. I'm saying they're not as good as the Yankee dynasty. Yeah. And, and the reality of it is is that, you know, like, who was we didn't really have a dynasty in the I 80s. Either, I either better than the no there was there was no dynasty in the 80s that's the best thing about the 80s yeah is right. that it had unbelievable competitive balance and free agency ushered in this age of competitive Although balance. Although we also part of the, you know it was both free agency and then we did have a collusion era there that you know was, sure was <laughs> sure also seemed to assure in balance it skewed some things yes it skewed some things uh, it, sorry Tim Raines we can't find no one wants you yeah exactly blank check uh, Andre Dawson uh, you know Jack Morris who went begging. So, I mean, the only dynasty of that kind of time, really, the only team that won two in that time, really, was uh, well, the Dodgers in 81 and 88, and then you had the Twins and in 87 and 91. Do, yeah, I was going to say, and the Dodgers were in two entirely right. different teams. Right. I mean, Kirby Puckett was like the big winner. I mean, you had the you had the sort of dynasty with the A's, where they went to three straight World Series, but they only won one. So, um, you know, and again, that's three or four years of the A's in the 80s. You know, the Bash brothers were great, as opposed to the Braves, who again did it over... No, 15 years and won there uh, with only the one World Series. But uh, to me, I agree. If the Phillies were to win a World Series now, it's, a, it's another dynasty. And the Yankees is almost like, is this part of the old dynasty or is it a new dynasty? It feels new because they're so dependent on CeCe Sabathia, but they but still have that they're core still, four. I was going to say, they're still, to me, as long as Mariano Rivera is on the mound when yeah, they celebrate, that's true. it's part of the same dynasty. Well, we'll see if if CC gets a complete game. Yeah, maybe that's a change. Maybe that changes. But if it's but if Jeter runs up to you know to to you know to hug Rivera at the end of it, that's the same dynasty. I'm telling you what, Mariano Rivera is never going to have to come in and close for CC Sabathia eating one of those double XL chalupas. <laughs> that is He's true. never going to come in and close. Uh, CC's going to finish off one of those troughs of <laughs> greasy meat. And be like, where's my second one? <laughs> yeah. You know, so we we just went to talk about today. That's, I shouldn't admit, I should admit that, but that's a gross commercial not, and a gross looking. Not brought to you by Taco Bell, but we did. It's a gross, that's a gross looking commercial and an odd commercial for Mario Rivera to be in. I as think. I said, you know, I said to you yesterday. So basically, what this commercial says is Mario Rivera has been reduced to eating the last couple of bites of uh, random people's. Uh, I mean, the most chili. memorable commercials right now of the postseason are the Conan commercials, obviously. But none of them have been bad. I, I don't. Yeah, I, I, there, there are no Frank TV commercials in here, and this inexplicable. Like, okay, I understand you're calling for a closer, but Mario Rivera, really, at at that at a fast food restaurant of any kind, 
It just doesn't make any sense. He's kept himself in good shape. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. It's not like it's uh, fast food. Doesn't look like us. It's not fast food Panamanian. You know, just uh, that that strikes me as strange. Who do you got though, JJ? Do you do you you think it's going to be Phillies? Phillies Yankees? Because there be any way we're going to avoid this? Can the Giants? Are the Giants the most likely spoiler because of their starting pitching? No, I don't think so. Just because um, a couple things. I I don't think the, the problem is is the. The Phillies have the pitching to match up with the Giants. Yeah, they do. And you look at the lineups, and I don't think there's... Their big advantage is that fourth starter, Madison Bumgarner over Joe Blanton. That's their big edge, you know. Okay, so yeah, that, and that'll come up one time in this Right, exactly, series. what I'm saying. I mean, maybe, you know, uh, I love Jonathan Sanchez, and I love that they moved him up to two. I might give Jonathan Sanchez an edge over Roy Oswalt, but if, it's Roy, but if it were Sanchez-Hamels, I'm going Hamels. And the flip side of it, you give, you know... No, I could see the Giants winning it. There's no doubt about that because you can say, okay, you can easily see Lincecum, you know, winning game. You know, I, you could see Lincecum winning two games in the series. Right, right. You could see, as you said, you could see Bumgarner winning one. You could see Sanchez winning one. Well, there you go. You've got a series. Like, you could see each of those pitchers. Their pitchers are good enough that if they're on, they can beat anybody. It's hard to imagine that the Giants scoring enough runs. It's a pretty anemic lineup. But one thing I want to point out is the Giants, we went through all the, all eight playoff teams. Can't think of another team that has three first-round picks in a row. And it's going to be hard to go back in memory and find a team that hit on three first-rounders in a row, as well as the Giants hit with Lincecum in 06, the way Bumgarner is going, the way he looks like he's going to be a big hit for 07, and Buster Posey in 2008. Three years in a row, three Giants first-round picks, and they basically completely overhauled their their big league team and went from a – a non a non factor to one of the final four teams left. And it's, it's, it's extremely impressive. And the other thing that's maddening about it that we've talked about is is that, and this is the same team that they didn't have first round picks the two years before that. As a matter of course, they didn't want them. That's right, and they just punted. They deliberately got rid of them. They basically punted the first four rounds of the 2005 draft. First three rounds, I guess, it was just on free agents. Once they started drafting again. Things went really well. Yeah, no, absolutely. And even in 05, they got three big leaguers, and one of them is Sergio Romo, like in the 28th round or something like that. So they've always had this ability to find pitchers. It's kind of impressive. Uh, I, I will also say the American League, I did not give the Rangers enough credit, uh, I especially their the pitchers. I could see the Rangers beating the Yankees. C.J. Wilson's dangerous, and obviously Cliff Lee is an X factor. Uh, and clearly the, the Yankees, you know, Seem to almost. I mean, if there's anyone they fear, Cliff Lee seems to be the, uh, the kryptonite for them. No doubt. But beyond that, the thing about it is, is that I could see it because I do. You know, once you get past Sabathia, the rest of the Yankees pitching staff, I, I think, is beatable. It's hard to know how much stock to put in Phil Hughes' uh, dominant outing against the Twins. Was that because Phil Hughes was so good? Which he was. The velocity rings were good. He looked rested. He's clearly going to be rested here. The, the Yankees are showing some confidence in him. They moved him up to the number two spot. They want to have Pettit, obviously, in the three-spot pitching in Yankee Stadium. but and, and that all makes sense. But is that for real, or is that a function of the Twins just thinking, we can't beat these guys. We're done. I mean, it's like, uh, it was pitiful. And also, and also the Twins, you know, like being, wow, how many of our guys are hurt? Yeah, that's true, too, because Joe Maurer certainly wasn't himself in that series. But I, I think I, I didn't, you know, I want to make sure that, the, to me, the Rangers are just better than I thought they were. And they can beat you in more different ways. And we saw them out-athlete the Rays. I think the Rays' athleticism and speed kind of would be a significant factor for the Yankees. 
but the Rangers show they can play that game. I think it's going to be Yankees Phillies, but I, I mean, I do with too. Yankees Rangers, I think that's a fifty-five forty-five. I think it actually, I think the Rangers have that much, you know, have a very legit chance. I, if the if the if the Giants had more offensive potential, I would I would think that the Giants could pull off an upset. But I just can't see them scoring enough runs. I know that the the Phillies lineup is streaky, so I agree. I, I think that the Rangers have a little bit better chance, just because I I just don't have faith I'm in San Francisco's lineup. Once the Giants go to the pen, who are the lefties in the pen? Cause uh, I think it's Jeremy Affelt, isn't it? Yeah, that's going to be you know that's going to be crucial. Is you you need you need lefties in the pen, obviously. When you that certainly them. helps. Uh, of course, the other question is I don't believe they've named their roster yet, but uh, they could have Barry Zito as one of their lefties in the in the pen. And uh, you know, Andy Baggerly tweeted at Extra Bags that our, our Giants correspondent that Zito was the only guy at AT&T Park the other day, but long before their workout started, uh, just by himself, throwing off flat ground with Dave Rigetti watching, uh, you know, kind of doing a side session. But yeah, Jeremy the Affel's way, there, their left hand. By the way. Oh, and Javier Lopez, actually, though, who pitched effectively against the Braves. But just a random, very random thing. But if I'm a team out there, I thought you were going to talk long toss. No, but <laughs> if I'm a team out there, there's no way I'd sign Dinier Navarro. And this is random. <laughs> yeah. I know it's random, but he should be uh, looking for work in the Golden League next year. But the reality of it is, is that or the American if, the, if speaking of like Zito doing, that's what a player should do. You're left Correct. off the roster, but Correct. you know what? You're part of this team. We're in the playoffs. I cannot fathom as a player saying. You know what? I'm not going to stick around and make sure that I'm ready in case you need That's me. It. Smell you later, guys. That yeah. is, there is no excuse that I can think of that explains like, oh, I'm unhappy. I'm not on the roster. I'm going home. It is, and you bring up Diana Navarro, and to me, that's the the best sliding doors, what if sports, whatever you want to call it, of the playoffs is. What if the Rays, with the first pick in 2008, had taken Buster Posey, who I don't think we had as a number one prospect in that draft. In fact, I'm pretty sure I looked this up, and we had Tim Beckham three and Buster Posey four in terms of ranking the prospects. But they were all but they were close right there together, and, and they needed a catcher. And they needed a catcher. Now, Diane Navarro was in the first half of that season on his way to the All-Star game, but he was still Diane Navarro. And I think it's just amazing that the Rays didn't draft – Buster Posey, and you really think about what if they had. And that is, again, it's a little revisionist history, no doubt. No, it's, but it's, I, I think it's, it's he was just a, a what if, yeah. It's a what if, and if they have drafted Buster Posey, just think how different their lineup would be, where instead of having Carlos Pena still having to hit in the middle of the lineup, that's the, the Posey's thing is, in the middle. The thing that just seemed to jump out over and over in the series was they seemed about a bat short. They were a bat short. They were a bat short compared to Texas, there's no doubt about it. And the Giants' history would be slightly different, but uh, the Giants deserve all the credit in the world for uh, – Buster Posey, Madison Bumgarner, Tim Lincecum. Those are three great first-round picks, one after the other, and that's why they're in the playoffs. And a lot of other teams in the National you know, the Dodgers made the playoffs. Why? Because they had a run uh, in the beginning of the decade where they just drafted hit after hit after hit after hit. And they haven't been as good as lately. Oh, yeah, as of late, with you know Clayton Kershaw was a great hit. But they haven't been as deep, and, uh, and some of the other moves haven't worked out. So uh, it's a Baseball America podcast with John and JJ. We're going to go ahead and wrap it up. Remind you that uh, you can send questions to us at podcast at baseballamerica.com. Next week, Jim Callis and I will chat uh, draft report cards. Those are thankfully in the books uh, as of this afternoon. And also remind and we'll be on the website uh, next week. So yeah, start next week. And we'll have a big podcast. We'll have a, a draft report card podcast and chat. I want to remind you that the ultimate 2011 Baseball America reference books are ready for pre-order. Reserve your books now. We'll ship them first as soon as they come hot off the press. Go to BaseballAmerica.com forward slash store 
and choose among the new 2011 publications, such as the Prospect Handbook, the Almanac, the Directory, the Super Register, and the 2011 Great Parks Calendar, or 2011, however you want to say it. Get the advantage in your fantasy league and be the first to get your books. Visit BaseballAmericas.com forward slash store. For J.J. Cooper, I'm John Manuel. Thank you so much to MLB Network for sponsoring the podcast, and we'll see you next week. So long, everybody.